This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story. Overworked, underpaid and no job security. This is the reality for the growing number of casual university teachers. Teachers have told Guardian Australia that these conditions are taking a toll on the quality of tertiary education and on their physical and mental health. And some are fighting back. Today, the university teachers blowing the whistle. It's Tuesday, the 18th of April. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Caitlin, why are university staff at breaking point? So there's so many reasons that have come together really in the past few decades, but it came to a head over COVID when you saw this mass firing of staff that really weren't replaced. Caitlin Cassidy is the higher education reporter at Guardian Australia. Workloads got higher, casual staff were being relied on to really hold the fort and we're now at this point where you've got the same amount of work, less staff and students are really bearing the brunt of that and the outcomes that they're getting. Mm, Tell me about who you spoke to. I spoke to so many people and I think What really showed the situation the sector is in is how few wanted to go on the record because they're worried about keeping their jobs. Hi, I'm Ruby. Um, Unfortunately, I'm not able to use my real name. I am concerned about what the implications of what I have to say are going to be. One of the people I spoke to, we'll call her Ruby, she's a teacher who's been on casual contracts at the University of Sydney for more than a decade until recently when she suddenly found out she wouldn't be rehired. We've actually gone beyond the breaking point and we're well into a period of broken and a lot of us are just running around trying to pick up those pieces and hold them together. So breaking point I think was 15 years ago and now we're in broken point, now we're in damage control point. How did Ruby get to this point? There's so many reasons beyond just pay. The person who is at the front of their classroom is likely to be a casual or a precarious employee of some kind who's overworked, underpaid, stressed and depressed. 
especially if you're a casual staff member, it's so hard to say no to work because you don't know when you're going to get more work. So you end up working these really, really long days where you're teaching, you know, back-to-back lectures. There are people who are getting UTIs because they are not able to use the toilet in a time that's appropriate. And so much of this work is unpaid. For example, when it comes to marking, I was told that teachers are often given way too much marking work for the amount they're paid. Some teachers have told me they're only paid to work five minutes per essay, which wasn't even enough time to read it, let alone mark it. There's an expectation that your marking will be of a certain quality, which is fair enough. But in order to get to that quality, you need to be working unpaid for a significant amount of time. Ruby, for instance, told me about this, what they call pastoral care. I mean, I've had countless students come to me absolutely sobbing their eyes out in a period of really acute distress. And what what are you going to do when you're in that situation? You're obviously going to try and comfort that person and help them out. Sometimes you might be paid, you know, say two hours to do that outside of your role, but a lot of the time you're just not getting paid to do that work at all. And the same thing happens if a student sends you an email with questions. There's an expectation you'll answer them. And sometimes these are incredibly complex questions they'll ask you. You can be spending, you know, 15 minutes to half an hour answering an email and that is completely unpaid. So they're just constantly in this fight or flight mode, basically. How many unpaid hours of work would a casual academic like Ruby do over the course of a semester or a year? So Ruby doesn't have a concrete figure and that's the difficulty in actually summating how much staff are overworked. But Ruby thinks, for example, over the past 12 years it would be... Hundreds and hundreds of hours over the years. ridiculous amount. And she wishes that she documented that more clearly. It's out of control and there's just that expectation that you do it, you be quiet about it, you put up with it, or you're not going to be selected to work on that unit next semester. Another huge problem is job security and that also plays into, you know, mental health concerns and just difficulty, I think, building a life, you know, things like paying for a mortgage, for example, Ruby's currently paying for a mortgage, but you're on these usually rolling contracts or fixed-term contracts. So, for instance, under the University of Sydney's Enterprise Bargaining Agreement, staff have to be offered continued employment in their roles if they've been employed for at least 12 months continuously. But with Ruby's rolling contracts, they've all been just under 365 days, so she's having to reapply year after year after year. And when her last contract lapsed, she wasn't even offered an interview for her own role, which was later re-advertised and offered to casual staff. And that's a terrible economic model. That's a really hateful, aggressive economic model to look at your workforce and to say, we don't want to convert you into something more permanent because your happiness, your sense of a reliable life is something that, that's going to cost us too much money. It's, it's a horrible way of thinking, but that's, that's how the industry is working at the moment. So after more than a decade, she was just told, we don't have work for you. See you later. Absolutely, because, you know, she's a casual staff member. She's been on these contracts. They're not obliged, really, to offer her anything. What has that meant for her in her life and her work and her employment? 
It's been really hard. It's meant she's had to look elsewhere. So at the moment, she's taken on a six-month contract at another university while she's paying for this mortgage. But she's also taken her case to Fair Work Australia, where her general protections dispute is currently adjourned. So, Caitlin, as we've discussed, Ruby says she's overworked and underpaid to the tune of hundreds of hours over the past decade. This is known as wage theft. How common is this in Australian universities? It is very common, and universities say they're cleaning up their act. But earlier this year, the National Tertiary Education Union, which is the peak union for the sector, uncovered more than $100 million in wage theft across the sector since 2019. The highest tally was for the University of Melbourne with $31.6 million in stolen wages in four separate cases. But the University of Sydney, which is where Ruby was working, is ranked second at $12.7 million. Mm. And it's, I think, important to note that these cases the NTEU uncovered, they're just what's already on the public record. So what's, you know, been through courts or tribunals, some of it might already have been paid back, but the real figure could be a lot more. Next, when did Australian universities become profit-making machines? Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So when did this all begin, Caitlin? You know, casual teachers doing overtime and working on insecure contracts. I think there's been a bit of a narrative that this all kicked off with COVID and definitely COVID accelerated what people have told me was already happening really dating back decades to the Hawke government in the 80s. I spoke, for instance, to Professor Raywin Connell. She's a sociologist and former chair at the University of Sydney. And she said in the past three decades, universities have increasingly embraced this ethos of corporate management. And this is something that Ruby, as a teacher, says she's seen firsthand over the past decade. It's been an actual shift where we've seen this idea of the university having to be more of a money-making system All of a sudden, we're hearing about our losses and our profits. There's been this move increasingly away from academics who are quite close to academia towards business managers, effectively, towards people with more of a background in the corporate world. And we're being pushed towards teaching that maximises profitability rather than teaching that maximises the students' own educational outcomes. And then you're getting this kind of detachment between what is the value of universities to how can we increase our profits? And then you're seeing lovely, big, shiny new buildings, but maybe less money being invested in the teachers. There's just so much pressure for us to always be in the black. There's so much pressure on balancing budgets that was really never there before. 
There's also been obviously an increased dependence on international students for revenue. And when you think about the way that some vice chancellors and peak bodies speak about international students, it's often in terms of how much money we get from international students, you know, how much money they bring to the economy, rather than focusing on, say, cultural diversity and the benefits that brings. Is part of this shift linked to the government funding that's actually going into universities each year? Absolutely. The investment in universities from the federal government has definitely stagnated, and that's been on a period of time prior to COVID and the pandemic. So investment in research and development is at a 15-year low, and it's below the OECD level. So Australia's gross expenditure on research and development is 1.8%, which is behind the average of 2.7% and behind a lot of like countries. Mm. And what influence did the pandemic have on this kind of broad shift towards seeing universities as, you know, profit makers and money makers? Mm. Well, it really caused universities to tighten their shoestrings in a huge way. Thousands of jobs were lost. And at the same time as federal funding is still being gradually reduced, I mean, the chief executive of Universities Australia, Katrina Jackson, said it's been stagnant for some time, but universities cannot do more of what the nation needs with less. Mm. There was also, I guess, a massive push towards the online models that I think has been continuing even now we're back in the classroom. There's been an increased desire. I think they realise that, you know, you can get more bang for your buck if you're running courses online. In some ways that's been great for, you know, access and accessibility. I think that's an important point, but you've got to look at the motivation behind doing so really. There was definitely a point there where the university was asking for their fees but they were not actually asking for any kind of meaningful engagement. And you're basically pressured to pass these students even though you know that they're not really engaging with the content and they're not engaging with the modules. So I would be giving lectures where I would have maybe 2 or 3% of my cohort actually there on Zoom with me. It would just be all of these blacked-out screens If she was actually passing who she thought genuinely engaged and went well on assignments, it would have been about 2%. Wow. And Ruby says she raised concerns about this pressure to pass students with her superiors and about the lack of engagement by students, but no action was taken. And Ruby believes this may be part of the reason she wasn't rehired. I asked Sydney University specific questions about Ruby's case, including why she was continually hired for casual contracts just under 12 months, and her allegation that she wasn't rehired because she complained. They didn't comment on her case, but gave us a general statement about the issues she raised, including the fact that Sydney Uni is moving away from hybrid or online learning. They also stated, and I quote, that every dollar we earn at Sydney is reinvested back into the institution to support our core activities and their staff are the best paid in the sector and receive some of the most generous working conditions. Caitlin, what do you think of the conditions that Ruby described where students are passed after barely engaging with the course sometimes? You're basically getting a piece of paper I think, at the end of the day. And at the same time, the experience is being reduced for students. The fees are still the same, or in some cases, they're higher. So you're paying more and you're getting less. So what we need to do is restructure 
the university system so that we don't have this reliance on something that is unethical and we keep these short-term precarious contracts just for situations where a short-term teaching load is all that is required. We don't let people go through what many of us have gone through, which is, you know, a decade of precarious employment. So, Caitlin, Ruby believes that Australian universities rely on an unethical model of underpaying and exploiting casual teachers. She's calling for an overhaul. Does she have much support? She's got so much support. I think the one thing that we're seeing at the moment is the sector is really banding together in terms of they want improvement for their conditions. So I've spoken to a lot of high-ranking people, high-ranking academics who have been calling for a long time for really broad reform, and you're even seeing it in the unions. So I've been going to some strikes that have been happening over enterprise bargaining agreements, and you're seeing a different flavour in the union. You're seeing people that maybe wouldn't have joined in the past, but they've joined now because they're frustrated. And you're seeing, I think, really all coming to a tipping point. What about within the management of Australian universities and also within the government? Is there an appetite for reform? Yeah, so there's been a lot of enterprise bargaining negotiations in the past 12 months. Some of them have been successful. Others, including the University of Sydney and the University of Melbourne, are ongoing. For instance, with the wage theft, there's been a commitment, at least in principle, to reducing the reliance on casual staff. Sydney University said they want to significantly reduce their reliance on casual staff. And there has been some interesting successes. For instance, Sydney University in their latest proposal, which hasn't been agreed to yet, but they've offered five days leave to casual staff for the first time. Mm. There's also a push for First Nations employees to be in line with the population. And there's push for interesting things like paid gender affirmation leave. It's also the whole backdrop to what's happening at the moment is the Australian Universities Accord, which is the biggest review into the tertiary sector in 15 years, introduced by the federal government, and they'll be reporting at the end of the year. So it could be a hugely, hugely significant time, but it's all got to play out yet and there's a lot of discussion ongoing about really what we want to see in that accord and what staff are pushing for. The problem that we have is that the university system absolutely relies on these cheap casual contracts. They rely on not paying people sick leave. They rely on having their staff over a barrel and they rely on having staff who are frightened. They rely on having staff who don't complain, who put up with things, who do all of this work in their own free time, on their own dollar. That was Ruby, a casual university teacher and higher education reporter, Caitlin Cassidy. To find out more about this topic, I really recommend reading Caitlin Cassidy's feature titled Appallingly Unethical, Why Australian Universities Are at Breaking Point. It's a really amazing deep dive speaking to teachers and academics across Australia. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert, Alison Chan and Obranil Hadra. Sound designed by Joe Koning, who also created our theme music. The executive producers of this episode are Miles Mattignoni and me, Laura Murphy-Oates. Thanks for listening and catch you next time.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.